This episode is sponsored by Shoutout, a two-way text messaging and campaign management platform that provides analytics and facilitates conversational messaging that delivers, engages, and converts more. Send personalized campaigns from unique phone numbers to the message content itself, letting you brand your campaign to promote yourself and create your messages in a way that users are made to think you sent it personally for them. You can then monitor and improve your campaigns over time with real-time analytics. Start reducing messaging and campaign costs with cost-effective bulk SMS. Scale efficiently without having to worry about high costs. If you'd like to start using mass texting services with simple packages to choose from, visit GetShoutOut.com today. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about best practices for effectively managing remote development teams. Today, we have our guest, Victor Perolnik, joining us. Victor is the founder and CEO of TrustShoring, a company that can help you find the right software development resources to support your growth by linking you with the professional and skilled developers that fit your company culture. He's an expert in software development and the outsourcing industry with around 10 years of experience as both provider and client. He's also the author of Complete Outsourcing Playbook and the organizer of many events in startups and the outsourcing space. And recently, he's joined a Berlin, Berlin-based startup called Rebolet as their interim CTO. So welcome, Victor. Super excited to have you on the Statistic Show today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm looking forward. So I want to start off with, you know, kind of what you do and, and your background and, and you know, what, what your business is all about. Because on your website says, kickstart your business growth with our no-fee services and get connected with your perfect software development partners within 72 hours. So great copy. But that's also a very bold claim. 72 hours to find your perfect software development. How do you do it without making money? So tell me, how does that work? What is the process and how, how do you guys make money in this thing? <laughs> <laughs> we, we obviously do make money. So that's right. that's not a fact that we hide and it would be hard uh, not to, right? Obviously as a business. Um, so maybe um, about myself and why I even run this and how I even do this. So I, I am actually... Uh, developer. I studied computer science and, and engineering management and worked at a few startups. Uh, the interim CTO that you mentioned, uh, as it says, interims are actually uh, currently handing it over to the right CTO because I'm, I'm running a business. So I don't really have time for that. But um, that's kind of my developer side. And um, I moved through product management and things like that fairly quickly. I was interested in also the UX side of things, like really about product in general. And, but also, um, you know, I'm German, but my, uh, my roots are also in Eastern Europe. And so at some point I decided, you know, uh, it was very early. Like that's, that's really the early days of, of working with remote developers when people were uh, still asking me where Ukraine even is on the map, right? Today, mm-hmm. you don't even get that question, but, um, Back in the days, I co-founded a software house in Ukraine with a co-founder. We grew that to about 70 people. I exited it. And uh, that's when I started this company, Trust Drawing, uh, from my experience in working both within startups, uh, but also on the ground in Eastern Europe. Um, and uh, that what we do essentially is we, we advise startup founders on the right approach to remote software development. We try to be um, the 
the objective partner who uh, tells you uh, you should work with a software house or you should hire developers directly or something between or should you bring in freelancers for something for design or do you maybe need a product manager and we answer questions like that uh without you going to software house directly and they're just selling you what they do um but then of course uh we um if if people want and ask for that and that is kind of obviously our end goal we then match startups up with the right provider from our network uh these are people that we've been working for a very long time. Most of you visited them. We've, we've done a lot of projects with them. And so that's who we match them up with. And, you know, you, you said, you know, no fees. How do you make your money? So we obviously do charge somewhere and we, we get like finders fees, kickbacks from the various providers that we match people to kind of like a real estate broker or, or, or a financial broker or something like that. It's a similar model, but the client doesn't pay us uh directly and also and especially not for just speaking to us and not for the consulting part so um essentially there's no risk in in, in speaking to us and, and checking us out yeah makes sense and at the end of the day they still get to make their decision right it's not like you, know, you give them options and then they can decide and if they, they like what you bring which obviously you guys have done a lot of vetting and and uh, work to bring these high quality folks which is not easy to find um then it makes sense for the for the work you guys have done um absolutely yeah so maybe as a as a as a SaaS founder, right, who may or may have a CTO, or they're not they're not technical, right? Uh, at what stage should they be thinking about, you know, offshoring the technical team versus hiring in house? Which you talked about, you know, what are the stages you've seen typically that you know they come to you and say like, what should I do? What what, what should I do? And you look at it and say, okay, you're at this stage. This is where you do. And then when you move to this stage, you should now look at hiring in house. Mm, that's a great question. You can look at that from several ways. I don't think there's a particular stage at mm. which it makes more or less sense. What changes at each different stage is how you work in-house or remotely. Um, a lot of times uh, people start MVPs. Um, it, it really depends on your entire context, and that's how we go very deeply through uh, the entire setup of a company. But uh, generally speaking, it happens a lot of times, and, and this is not a bad approach. This is actually a good approach. It happens that someone tries to build a very cheap MVP on a, on a budget, right? Because you need to validate things. You, you need to uh, get somewhere. You need to de-risk your project, essentially, right? Your, your company, your idea, validate your hypothesis. Um, so obviously, a lot of people do that. And um, at some point, they uh, gain traction. They uh, validate some of these hypotheses. They have more and more users. They need to add more features. Uh, They're closer to product market fit. And um, at that point, they realize they need to level up kind of their their software development skills. And that's usually when people um, try to figure out, should we now pull things in-house or should we keep things remotely? Should we uh, use a different agency? Should we now hire a CTO or get a co-founder? Um, and, and these are the really interesting questions at that point. Um, that, that's actually an interesting question. Should I get a co-founder or should I get a, get a CTO? Um, it depends on what you're building, but unless you're building like what, what we try to call rocket science for non-technical people, um, you know, latest technology, uh, more research than development, right? Maybe, uh, machine learning or, or just complex technology um then yes you, you kind of have to because you need to have someone who who really knows what, what they're doing but most SaaS businesses are actually fairly simple 
like this is bread and butter software. This is not rocket science. Um, so uh, the, the question really is, should you um, just for the sake of, of, of getting a technical co-founder or a CTO, mm. uh, should you really um, give up shares, uh, pay a large chunk of your available uh, budget or runway uh, to that person if it's questionable whether they'll actually make that much of a difference? Um, you can get, because what would you get from that person? You get technical oversight, you get help with making uh technical decisions um and 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 that kind of stuff but um that you can get from like a partial consultant as well or and i'm just going to make that claim here if if you actually work with a good software house they usually bring that knowledge with them but then again of course if you want the accountability part right and, and that makes sense of course then there are fractional cto's around as well um, and, and I, I do believe it, especially since that tech leader is a different person at each stage, right? Initially, when you're building the MVP, most people, uh, really just, they hire a developer, any developer that wants mm. to work with them really. <laughs> uh, and they call him CTO oftentimes or co-founder or whatnot. And then, you know, six months down the road, uh, they turn out to be the wrong person to continue because at first you need a pragmatic developer that understands your business case and just builds anything quickly to validate. Next mm -hmm. up, you need someone with a lot of uh, software development experience to build up an, an, uh, a team to set up a process um, and to uh, uh, just uh, make sure that things are scalable. Uh, and then at the latest stage, the CTO really is more of a C-level uh, person that's that's hiring, that's making sure uh, that the structure is there, and that's also involved in, in investor meetings and, and things like that. And if you give away your shares, like substantial amount of shares, to the first person in the beginning, that is kind of unfortunate, and I've seen it a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the other benefit of having a CTO, right? I mean, a huge benefit is they're vested in your company uh, if they're the right fit, yeah. so obviously, right? now, obviously you want to maybe set up a vesting schedule. You don't give them shares up front. Uh, but, you know, even when you go to raise money or let's say the, the shop you're working with, that person leaves or, you know, that interim CTO, you know, you know, whatever happens, right? The company leaves or whatever, they shut down. Now you're kind of off the hook and like you're kind of stuck with, you know, having to start all over and find somebody in the middle of a project, I think is a lot more challenging, right? Um, totally. Well, and if I'm, if I'm looking to hire teams, developers, how, uh, you know, development houses, you know, you, obviously you, you're, uh, you know, well-connected in Eastern Europe, but I also hear a lot of, uh, you know, engineers or founders that come to us and say, hey, we're looking at India, Brazil, or Argentina, or other places in the world where typically they'll promise a lot lower cost dev teams. Why should they consider the pros and cons of both? And what have you seen? I mean, personally, I've seen, you know, great work out of Eastern Europe, so I, I you know I'm, I'm biased there, but what's, what's your thinking around that? Well, uh, I'm obviously biased too, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll be very honest here. I have very little personal experience with, with India and, and absolutely none with Latin America. Um, I, I don't think Eastern Europe is better per se or better at all. Um, people come to us in Eastern Europe, what they say is they're, they're coming for the experience, um, both technically and culturally. 
uh, in our target audience, they just seem to be a really good fit. Uh, the outsourcing market is very, very mature in Eastern Europe, where the it used the funny thing is right. You call, used to call it outsourcing, and now everybody just calls it remote work. Uh, contractually, it's still subcontracting. It's still the same. It's it's still sure. whether you hire someone directly as a freelancer or goes through software. As now it, it's called remote work, and uh, but. Um, people in Eastern Europe are very used to that kind of work. Like they've been doing it for 10, almost 20 years. Um, they have great English, uh, mostly, um, and, uh, the technical education and the process education, they've gone through big software houses that worked for the enterprise through software houses that you started working with startups, uh, more recently. And then really since COVID, um, what started is people break out of these structures and really start working for startups directly uh, more than than before. And uh, that's that's a reason why people come to Eastern Europe. But I, I don't think that's the only place where you can find great developers. Good, good answer. Um, what, what are some if I'm looking to hire you know remote tech team, especially as a non-technical founder, right? Sometimes you just don't have that. You know, the, the right questions to ask because that's going to reveal a lot of things. Do you have any favorite questions you like to ask or? Uh, whether it's technical or other things that maybe I should think about when, when looking to make that hire? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it, it may be challenging to read that team as a non-technical founder, but there's a few great things you can ask even being non-technical. Well, obviously, first step, look at the portfolio, kind of obvious. Um, you see if you like what they're doing or if you don't like it. The problem with that a bit is that a lot of times um, they're not the ones who created the design and that's what you see in the portfolio. Um, so that it, either in a get good or in a bad way, right? It could be that the crappy thing they didn't design, it's not their fault just as well as the great looking thing is not what they designed. Um, but what you should really do is, oh, I mean, for the portfolio, you can you can understand if, if the projects are generally something similar and mm. uh, not necessarily the, the same vertical, but like complexity wise and, that's something you judge for the portfolio. It's kind of the first step. Um, then you should uh, try to understand if you click with the people, right? Speak with the entire team. Uh, do they understand what you're doing? The seem experience. You can't. You do have that feeling from them. And then once you have either a short list or you're pretty sure um, that someone is is a good fit, um, the ultimate test for me is uh, to try out software that they've built, but not any software, not the one for the portfolio. Ask them for a complex project that they developed over ideally at least two years, one minimum, but two years or more that has a lot of users. A lot is relative, you know, for, for some platforms, uh, 100 users is a lot. For others, you know, it could be tens of thousands, but generally a complex project that is successful um, has a, a, a load on it and that definitely, most definitely has been continuously developed for quite a while because it's, it's very easy to build something within a couple of months that's well-defined and that works. That's actually very easy. Anyone can do that, any software developer. Um, now, the tricky part, and that's how you understand if they write good code or not, um, because writing good code is not just something that you do to please the developer, right? You do that as well, and it's important, kind of. But um, what it gives you uh, is scalability and it's extendability. Uh, that, when you see projects breaking apart is uh, after a few months, 
is when you try to add new features and everything is just breaking apart. That's when you have a bad code base. Mm -hmm. um, and so now ask them to connect you with that client to see, to speak to them and ask ask that client how uh, how it is right now to work with that team. Um, how how is adding new features? Are there a lot of bugs? Is stuff just randomly breaking in other places in the system? Um, things like that. Um, and that really is an indicator. That is the indicator of whether they're able to build scalable software, which means they're writing good code. And I think this is as good as you can get being a non-technical founder. Uh, you won't actually get more granular. Uh, I mean, if you look at the code base, right, as a developer and you vet it, Essentially, if that's good code, that's what the end result should be like. Right. Now that makes perfect sense. So the quality of the code, uh, and yeah, unless you you know what spaghetti code looks like, and or you can hire somebody to you know do a kind of an audit for you and have a look at it. Um, but I think that's a great. That's very. That's very smart, right? Talking to the client and seeing, okay, look, is this a robust code, and are you happy with the work and what they've built, and how easy has it been? I think that's probably the best way to. That's that's a smart way to look at it. Um, yeah, because you can you can you can you can write spaghetti code and have a working product that actually works great, mm -hmm. but it will fall apart after this tenth iteration of adding things. That's mm -hmm. when it'll definitely fall apart, and that's what you want to understand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just a lot more expensive to have to rebuild at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you know when you when I'm thinking about hiring developers, right? There's the options. Okay, like you mentioned, you know, remote developers, or you have the option of hiring locally, right? If I'm in the U.S., I'm going to hire somebody maybe in my region. Um, you know, at the office or not, but I mean, just, you know, somebody who you're familiar with, what have, have you seen as kind of the pros and cons and kind of the current state of market? Obviously there's one is, you know, availability, like there's high demand for, for developers anywhere in the world. And then secondly is uh, what are expected, you know, rates and salaries right now for software developers in 2022? I mean, you know, obviously there's a difference between junior and senior. Uh, what, what can they expect to pay? Mm, that's a great question. And so, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to hiring remotely versus locally, especially in-house, um, uh, I, what I used to say is, A, I get it. Everybody's kind of trying to build these in-house teams with like the foosball tables and everything. And, uh, you know, you have your veggie Fridays, whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. And I get it that this is, obviously, this, this has a lot of upsides. And um, if you take your ideal in-house team, your imagined ideal in-house team, because that is the, the, the key question here. If you imagine your, your dream in-house team, probably nothing can beat it. Um, mm -hmm. But the question is, can you assemble it? Um, and how fast? And what does that do to your runway? Um, because if the answer is that a team 80, 90% as efficient or and that more goes into remote working culture and everything. Um, I, I don't want to argue about whether in-house or remote first is actually uh, more productive or what's better for people. But generally, I, I used to say that, you know, if, if, if you can get that right now, you know, isn't that actually a better solution? Um, you know, got to be a bit pragmatic also. Um so um, I used to say that, but now since COVID, really, I mean, a lot more people have gone remote first anyway. And now it's just a matter of, of uh, what time zone difference starts becoming too much, um, uh, which obviously brings its own challenges and uh, the ability to meet up 
as often as possible is, of course, extremely, extremely um, important. And this is actually something that that people kind of, if, if they hire a remote team like their own team, it's it's obvious you're going to meet up. But if they hire an agency, you know, mm. sometimes people work with them for years and never meet up. And for me, I, I don't I don't get it because if you treat these people like in-house, you have a dedicated team with that agency, right? They, they've been working for one-on-one personally. Um, if you treat them like in-house people, which you totally can, even if they're through an agency, um, they will suddenly become part of your team mentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is amazing. Like, and you meet up with them and this is, I, I keep telling this to our clients and, um, what every, every single time somebody actually books that flight and flies over and comes back after two, three weeks, you're like, wow, this, this is just incredible. Like the work now is just so much better. Right. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like if I had an in-house team, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what you do. Um, it now when it comes to salaries, unfortunately, um, there's, there's no such thing as cheap software development anymore. Like they're relatively cheaper, cheap-ish rates. Obviously, nothing compares to uh, San Francisco. Um, but um, generally speaking, especially when it comes to senior talent, the world is is getting more and more flat, right? So um, we expect that to continue in 2022. So uh, remote developer salaries will 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 keep increasing. And I mean. Um, it really is at an extreme where where uh, software developers in some countries make ten to twenty times the average salary, mm-hmm. um, just because of that fact. And uh, that's that's something we do have to live with. The benefit of going remote is simply that we have access to talent. We have access to a lot of talent, a lot of great people um, that we might not have been able to access previously. And yes, they might actually uh, be. Uh, a bit cheaper, you might actually be able to work more flexibly and and things like that. So there's still a lot of benefits. Um, but the, the days of I'm, I'm going to get a senior developer for three grand a month full time, they're just completely over. Um, and and uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, they're they're probably not going to come back. Mm. Um, and, but what what really impacts the price? Unfortunately, or, or as in every single, um, every single, I think every single uh, uh, tr- trade or, or professionals mm-hmm. like that, if you, if you, if you know exactly what you're doing, right, um, then you can work. Then you understand how to save money. Mm-hmm. Um, say if you're building a house, if you're an architect, then you know exactly how to choose the right materials, how to choose the cheapest contractors not going through a general contractor uh everybody hiring everybody yourself uh managing them making sure everything on the invoice is correct whatnot um you can save a lot of money but what a lot of people do in software development which you probably wouldn't do when you're building a house is buying the cheapest materials online you can just possibly find (laughs) um hiring people from from high school and telling them here are your bricks go build um 
and obviously that that's just that's just that that is a bad idea um or it's a great idea for building a prototype uh where you just want to uh invite your family show them around and say this would be your room once we rebuild it please don't <laughs> lean against the wall um which is what we actually do in in software development right mm-hmm. we build these prototypes but you always have to understand that this is a prototype that you've built this way and that once you scale this will become a problem mm-hmm. And just kind of on your on your point of you know meeting your your agency you know people who mm-hmm. work with you and you said you know there goes years without ever seeing them in person, do, do you ever suggest like you know the you know from the founding or the the core company you know so you mentioned going to meet with the agency or the agency people you know actually going out and meeting with the you know flying out and meeting with the team what have, what have you seen? Both, both, both? totally, because yeah. yeah. it's it's a great experience for for either of them. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing to fly out some of the team to uh, say Eastern Europe if if that's uh, where your team's located. Uh, getting to know the culture, the the food, um, visiting. Uh, honestly, it's a great way to expense a trip there, right? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, why not do it? And vice versa, uh, get people in, meet the entire company, uh, maybe even. Uh, meet a client or two to understand them better, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is really, really super valuable both ways. Nice. So if I'm, uh, if I'm just starting off, like I get this question, so, you know, early people who are looking to get into SaaS, they say, look, I want to build my, my SaaS product, uh, build version one of my product, maybe not prototype, but, you know, like you said here, I don't know anything, I, I, don't, I can't manage it, I'm not an architect, but build my house, build my B2B SaaS product. And like you said, you know, quite simple these days, nothing too complex, how much can I expect for, let's say, initial development costs for, for starting my business, right? To go out there and look, hey, I've got this working product. I can go out and try to sell it now because maybe I'm, I'm good at sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so the, the, the simple answer is it's impossible to say because, mm-hmm. again, it does depend on some. There's enough people who do want to build something complex mm. sometimes without knowing it. And that really makes it more difficult. Complexity comes in two flavors either technical difficulty, like we're trying to build something new, we're trying to involve latest technology, or we're just trying to use a lot of APIs and APIs just tend to be uh, unpredictable. Um, and we need to safeguard against that. And that's a lot of work. Or it's just the size. You know, someone comes with 800 screens and it can be just form fields. It can be super simple. It's a lot of work. Um, the next one is scalability. That's a huge factor. Um, this is where where we want to say, is this the the cardboard house that we're just going to show to people? Or uh, is this an actual house we're going to live in? Or is this like the foundation for a skyscraper, the first floor, but we do want to build like 99 floors on top of that? Um, in that case, we also have to handle things differently, right? And um, mm. Because people come to me and they say, look, I have one form field and a button, how hard can it be? Like, yeah, it depends on your scalability. Google is one form field and a button. It has a gazillion of engineers working on it. Um, mm. So um, that that's kind of what you need to know, what the load on this thing will be and how you're planning it. Um, because that can 10x, 20x, 30x your development costs without having anything change for the user on the front end. Um, and so how much you have prepared and how much you understand what you're building is also a very big factor because um, if sometimes we have very professional product managers coming to us and they have, you know, 
or their wireframes, their user stories, their flow charts, their uh, customer journeys, their, you know, everything prepared, right? And a developer just has to read that uh, late at night and uh, break it down and estimate it. And that's cool. And that's perfect. Um, but if you don't have that, it's not a problem, but you need to do what we usually uh, uh, recommend a discovery phase where you produce all of these materials because that's how you de-risk the product. You don't want to start with development not knowing exactly what you're building, at least for for phase mm -hmm. one. Of course, then you, if we're, we're building an MVP, we do have a more or less defined product that we can scope down. Then we iterate, we add on, we go more into Agile. Mm -hmm. But at first, we kind of need to get this thing built and we need to understand what we're building. And, you know, these discovery phases, depending on the complexity of product, can easily cost 5 to 20K, uh, roughly. And so um, whether you have that expense or not makes a big difference uh, in your budget. And then I would maybe try the other approach of, like, how much should an MVP cost? How much should I invest um, without further de-risking my, my product? And here we see most people want to invest between 20 and 100k at first uh to build a product and then either raise funding or pour more cash in or however they want to continue building this um and the question here now becomes so what can i do with that money mm -hmm. right and actually knowing that number um and that's why we also ask for it is how we can determine the right solution Right. If if the number is way too low, then I will say, okay, you should probably look at building a manual Zapier MVP or something. Try to de-risk that more outside of code, um, mm. and um, and so so that's really important to understand because this depends on what tools can we use to build your MVP. What's the best thing we can build within your budget, um, and uh, then then you're fairly good to go but of course some 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 things uh, there's uh, every every now and then there's there's a product that just uh is either very complex or provides no value if not built entirely it happens mm -hmm. and um in that case unfortunately it can even you know be more expensive than that yeah yeah it makes sense i mean so if you're using the analogy of building a house phrase like so saying hey here's my land build a house you're like Okay, this is the this is square footage I want. I want this many rooms, uh, and then now the price becomes like: Do you want granite counter counters? Do you want hardwood floors? Like that's going to be a big difference in your pricing, right? So yeah, I think it's all those little details that it could quickly add up, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and if I'm thinking to okay, I, I want to start hiring. I'm ready to go and hire some people. Is there any you know favorite recommended platforms or where you recommend you know finding trustworthy, qualified remote developers? And you know obviously Upwork and there's a couple of others. Any any others you like? Yeah, totally. So what we see a lot uh, is that, firstly and foremost, I, I think it's it's important to mention that that uh, a lot of people get their uh, uh, find their developers through recommendations. One of the best ways, you know, a buddy who's built a SaaS, you ask in a group uh, who's used developers, um, and you get like actual recommendations of people who've who've built things, and that is always a very good indicator. Um, there's just one risk with that is that your project may be slightly different. And so whoever is a good fit for, for was, was a good fit for a certain person doesn't have to be a good fit for you. Cause there's a lot of difference differences between 
agencies and, and people like that. Now, uh, you mentioned Upwork, and there's also Clutch. Uh, there, there are platforms where you obviously have a lot of uh, user recommendations as well. You can filter, and you can you can just you have a huge choice, and uh, that is also very valuable. Um, uh, you you do have a bit of work with that. You have to look through and, and kind of make that decision. And the last ones are, are companies like us. There's also a few. We're not the only ones um, who work with a, I'd say, much smaller pool of, of, of companies. But we provide like this individual one-on-one help where we say, uh-huh, uh-huh, got it. Yep, this is exactly who you should be working with. Mm, got it. If I'm, uh, let's say I'm further down along, I've, I've built some kind of, you know, have a, a working product, I've got some sales, I've got revenue, um, and I'm just trying to understand, okay, like I've, I built this company, but I don't know how, how well my team levels and the skill of my, you know, that they have and the speed of their execution. How should they maybe think about some questions they should ask themselves or what should they be looking at? And say, okay, wait, maybe I actually need to change or replace my entire dev team that they currently have or Maybe what they've actually built is spaghetti code, or what I have isn't good enough, and my dev team isn't doing as good as uh, as as I would like to in order to scale. And then what are the risks of doing that? Like let's say being being in the middle phase of a project here. Mm, yeah, this is very common. So as, as I said, right, a lot of people come to us when they have when, when they feel they have a problem with their dev team. Right. Um, and so this is this is we have lots of cases like that, and. To be frank, it's it's never completely smooth sailing. Like bugs are actually a normal part of software development. Estimations, actually, you know, some people decide decide to never do them again because they just can be flawed. Um, it, it that's also a thing that you can completely get rid of. But what is too much? Right? What is what is just completely too much? There's a fine line, and once you cross it, like you actually have a terrible dev team. So if you're like constantly firefighting, like if you're being on 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 calls explaining things all the time instead of growing your business, or you constant deadline overruns, like multiples of your estimations without exception. Um, I mean, if your app is slow, is buggy, people are complaining, and the end result is like you have churn, that's kind of like a, a, a terrible sign. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so most of the time, this is with the small MVP builds and you kind of outgrow your agency, which happens a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, then you need to level up, find a solid team. They will most likely need to refactor or even rewrite. Like it depends. You, you always hope they can refactor. Sometimes that's not possible. Um, but yeah, you, you then need to find someone who uh, is good at that. Um, obviously, uh, if you have any doubt, if you don't know, like we do code reviews, we look at things, we we try to get to the bottom of this. Um, we regularly tell people that, you know, I think you might have to hire a product manager because uh, you're not collaborating completely well with the team and there's maybe some fault with you as well. So we, we really try to be honest here and help you before, you know, upselling whatever we do. Um, because it, it does happen, right? It does happen that someone is not very involved and they're completely um, uh, all over the place, right? Today, they want to build this. Tomorrow, they want to build something else. Then a user writes a support ticket and you're like completely 180 degrees changing your plans again. Uh, things like that happen. And, um, uh, and, and you know, then you're dragging everybody along 
with you without clear guidance. Um, so sometimes uh, you also need to to understand if that is happening. But again, a lot of times you also just need to level up, understand when is the right time um, to get a more professional process going, uh, have better tech leadership and just, you know, have a team that does what they're supposed to do uh, and does it well. Okay. So sometimes and, it's not uh, actually, uh, yeah. would you say something it's not even, it's not the issue of the developers or the product. Sometimes it could be like the management itself, itself right? That just not, you know. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Of course. Like yeah. it could be anyone's, I don't want to say fault because it's, mm. it's, it's a very, uh, sure, it's all, it's all uh, learning, you know, right? I mean, it's, it's not that fun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it happens, right? Mm. It, it does happen. And, uh, we want to educate people as much as we can. Um, and you also asked, I forgot to answer that question, like the risk of doing that mm. in the middle of a, of a project, right? Um, well, um, it, it always comes with a massive learning curve. So you're going to have to delay either way. Sometimes it's just not worth switching in the middle of a release um especially if you find out that you need to rewrite this thing so sometimes it just might you know, you, you might want to finish some crucial parts um and and then uh rewrite um because uh yeah sometimes you, you just don't have a choice uh, unfortunately and it is kind of sad but this is reality currently is that a lot of very good people they won't even bother with a bad code base. So even though it might not make a lot of business sense to rewrite because you're not actually, like maybe the users aren't even that impacted. Like maybe you'd need to rewrite in a year anyway, but not now. Uh, it makes more sense then from a business perspective. Mm. Um, very often because people are so in demand, a lot of good people, and we see it on a daily basis, will simply say, I won't work on this. Like, I can rewrite it. It's not a problem, but I won't work on this. I've seen uh, that it several used times. To be, yeah. They just look at a code yeah. like, I'm not, this, I'm, out. I'm not doing this. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. that's that's a real problem um, and a reason why to kind of try to get this sorted as early as possible, not when it's, like, way too late. Mm. Again, I do believe, firmly believe, that... Um, scrappy uh, MVPs are the right way to start things. There's no point in investing a lot of money uh, before something is validated. But it's very tricky to then realize when the right point is without delaying things too much and without going too far into this for it to become a major, major business risk um, to rewrite at the right point and then just be set up well with good developers who are happy to work on your code base. Exactly. I think that's the same with, you know, you said a good, having a good CTO or a good CMO, it's not just like, yes, they are a, a cost and they, you know, obviously they're, they're not cheap, but what happens is like, they're going to save you a lot of money by, by making sure you avoid a lot of things. Right. And that's most, I think is like being able to look at it and say, look, you know, don't spend your money on all this that you thought was good marketing and it's going to give you results, but they've have experience or, you know, don't invest in this type of code or don't bother with this because we've seen that, you know, it's just going to cost you more and it's not worth the result of it. Right. Um, totally. So, yeah. Cool. This, is, this has been great, Victor. Um, you know, really, really helpful. I think a lot of good insights for people listening in and thinking about how to hire you know, developers, manage them and where to look. Um, so I want to move, move, kind of shift gears towards the, the more rapid fire, the fun part of the, the interview. Are you ready to go there? Ready. Ready? All right, cool. All right, Victor, what is uh, one activity you enjoy outside of work that gets you into flow state? 
Uh, uh, most probably driving. I kind of love mm-hmm. driving. I don't know why I have to do it a lot because I, I, I travel a lot for, for work. Um, cool. uh, but I just usually listen to podcasts. I'll add your snow, of course. And, um, Thank you. you know, yeah. it's just like hours go by. Um, yeah. I don't know why it's kind of, some people hate it. Mm. Like driving, are you just like cruising or are you like speeding down and you, know, you got a race car? Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a race car. Okay. We're not that far yet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in Germany, we don't have a speed limit, so we can't uh, push things sometimes. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. Um, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell your 25-year-old self? Well, it's not that That's not that long ago. Right? I'm 28 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd, I'd probably say let's keep grinding. It's really what I would tell my 18-year-old self. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, uh, you know, it might not look like it, but um, you, you just keep going. You'll figure it out. Uh, that's good advice, I think. Nice. Persistence. Yeah. Um, totally. What are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow trust shorting? Meaning, what keeps you up at night these days? Mm, there's something literally keeping me up at night uh, that has to do with scaling. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the consulting part, which I absolutely love, right? We're uh it's it's becoming quite a lot uh so we're uh especially now so I, I live in europe right and we have a lot of clients in the u.s um and now australia started popping onto the map and so there are days where i i get up i i get on on calls at like 7 a.m and, and finish them at, at midnight and uh that's 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 a scaling issue because I, I i have a team for almost everything but kind of one-on-one consulting is what I do. Um, and pretty much exclusively at this point, that's, that's all I do. Mm. Um, but I, it's hard for me to, to give that up somehow. And I know it's, it's not, not really wise in a business sense, but, uh, I, I just love doing it. I love helping people. Mm. Yeah. How do you replace yourself? Right. That's the, it's always a challenge. You need, you need to, that's the next outsourcing uh, agency you should build. How to, how to replace yourself. Right. Totally. I'll outsource <laughs> myself. And, well, you know, our entire team is, is built. Um, these are not developers because we're not we're not a dev show, right? We're a consulting company, but we're um, our entire team is, is just built how I would hire developers. We're completely remote. Uh, we're we're all over uh, Eastern Europe and one person is in Portugal. And um, so uh, like uh, that, that's really something that we we live, right? This culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been the same ever since day one. So yeah, that's the only way I'd like to do it. Totally. Cool. Uh, who or what are some of the best re- best resources? These can be, you know, books, mentors, or people you follow in the space who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years. Mm. So um, yeah, for the past years, and I think what what really made a difference to 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 my my, my business and and is there's there's uh, definitely three people I can think of. Um, let me see. So the first one would be Steli FD from Close.io. Probably mm. doesn't remember uh, when I once picked him up from the airport in Berlin and, and just asked him for business advice when I was like 20 years older or something. Um, but he literally, like he said, what you're doing is wrong. You should do this, 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 and this, because that's what people want. And then I did that. And, uh, so that's really cool. Um, and so he gave it very early advice and also Rob Walling, um, from startups for the rest of us, microconf 
tiny seed. Um, he he's who got me into SaaS. Um, so that's why we we do SaaS, why we work with SaaS for SaaS. I'd love to buy SaaS at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, so he I, I started listening to start sort of rest of us probably a decade ago. Is it that old? I think it is. Um, something around that. Yeah. And I've been going to Microcon for probably seven years now, something like wow. that. Um, yeah. So um, this is really, really someone who inspired me. And obviously, you know, my wife, who's who has a brilliant mind and, and she's always ready to, to jump on any challenge I come home with. So without her, also, like, this wouldn't exist. Awesome. That's, that's great. Love it. Um, Victor, what does success mean to you today? How, how do you measure it? Whether it's uh, personally, business, financial, life, it's no, no right answer. Hmm. So success, I, I guess hmm. personal has always been uh, being able to control my life, uh, how I want to live it, uh, you know, without being able to make decisions without substantial sacrifice. Like I move around a lot, travel a lot, spend a lot of time in various places without having, you know, to look for a new job or, you know, now whatever the problems are, if you do that. Um, so this is really personal success that I'm able to do it professionally. I would say, you know, this company this particular company is six years old now. And, um, last year, the year before kind of the first people who might helped in the early days, uh, and they were also in their early stages, right? Developing MVPs or now starting to hire better people. They kind of, they started announcing like one after the other, their acquisitions for like substantial amounts of money. And um, a lot of people reached out to me and thanked me personally for that. Like saying that would be possible without our help. And, and that is, that is really professional success for me. That means a lot to me. Wow. So being being part of that that kind of success that you see that other people, you know, changing their lives as well. So love it. Yeah, totally. Even though you kind of, you'd say, you know, they might have forgotten about us. It's been a long time ago. We do actually stay in touch with a lot of people. That's what we do. We, we try to uh, understand um, how we can help them along the way. Uh, but, but still, um, it, it's cool that even such a small thing can have an impact down the road. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, uh, this has been great, Victor. Really, really appreciate you, you jumping on SaaS District and uh, sharing all your insights. Uh, where can yeah. you know founders listening in get in touch with you, learn more about you, just want to say hi or learn more about your company? Yeah, totally. So if, if any of this uh, was interesting for you and you want to like di- dive in deeper specifically about building products like UX and, and uh, product management and remote work, software development, these kind of things, I host a podcast called Product Stories, um, where we interview like experts in exactly these fields. Um, and you can find it on our site. Uh, it's trustshoring.com, trust, T-R-U-S-T, shoring, S-H-O-R-I-N-G.com. And also, uh, you mentioned it, uh, our complete outsourcing playbook, uh, which guides you through our process of finding the right software house. But um, this one doesn't include like hiring people directly. This one is specific for software houses. So if, if you consider software houses, that is exactly a thing you should read. Uh, but obviously there's also just hiring people directly. And, and that's something we do as well through recruiting. And, and, where and can obviously you can find, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's on our site as well. Oh, okay. 
Perfect. We'll put a link in. Uh, yeah, also, uh, your LinkedIn, is that the best place to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Right? LinkedIn, yeah. email. Uh, I'm always happy to to chat. And yeah, I'm also always, always happy. Some people just call me up to ask how they, if they should build something or what, how, how much that could cost or not. And then um, we just also uh, give tips without any, any business transaction. Like I, I like helping founders. Awesome. Really, really appreciate you and what you're doing in this space, Victor. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's been fun. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.